Thanks for listening to the Best of Coast to Coast podcast. Become a Coast Insider to hear the rest of this fascinating conversation and check out recent shows where we learned about worrisome cases of wrongful convictions, an unsettling rise in cancer found in household pets, and mysterious radio bursts coming from deep in space. Head on over to coasttocoastam.com and sign up for Coast Insider to start listening. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. Welcome back to Coast to Coast. Our guest for the next couple hours, Steve Oxtakalnis, is a research scientist, consultant, author of several books on virtual and augmented reality. Now, he's spent more than two decades working on the application of head-mounted displays and other advanced human-computer interfaces in areas like engineering, education, defense, and entertainment. And here he is. He's the author of Practical Augmented Reality. That title alone tells me a lot, Stephen. Welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, George. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Oh my God, I've been looking at virtual reality all day today on the Internet. It's amazing where it has come in 15 years. Yeah, it really has. The, there's been so many major advances in the component technologies that are enabling just some phenomenal applications right now, and I'm sure we'll get through a number of these as this conversation goes on. I'm betting, a producer Tom, that you're either Greek or Lithuanian. Lithuanian. I knew it! I knew it. I had a buddy at the University of Detroit whose last name ended with uh, NIS, and he was Lithuanian. That's how I knew. How about that? I was actually there in oh, over the new year and saw some phenomenal virtual reality stuff while in the country there. And, uh, so. so explain what virtual reality and augmented reality is, and what's the difference between the two? So... <clears throat> Virtual and augmented reality, these are often parts of the same conversation, though there's significant differences between the two technologies. The first, virtual reality, is a completely computer-generated replacement to one's true visual and audio surroundings. Now, the way that this experience is delivered to the user is through what's called a head-mounted display. So in front of each eye, you have a small flat panel display screen and special optics that spread the imagery to cover most of your vertical and horizontal fields of view. There's sensors in the display or elsewhere in the room that track the position and orientation of your head so the computer knows where you're looking and it in turn can draw the correct images. While what the user experiences is the visual sensation of being immersed into a computer-generated environment that you can freely explore as opposed to being on the outside looking in such as on a standard desktop computer monitor. So a, a really great example to illustrate this is an architectural walkthrough. Mm-hmm. Where you're able to physically walk through the interior of a building design months before the construction process even begins. Now, this is already being done at architectural firms around the world. And it's like you're there, isn't it? It, it really is. The, the sensation of presence, if, these, if it's set up correctly and so on, is very compelling. So that's virtual reality. Augmented reality is very different. Here you also wear a head-mounted viewing device, but these are generally referred to as optical see-through displays. So they're typically much smaller in size. They allow you to see your real-world surroundings, but with text, symbols, or graphical information inserted into that view, which ideally holds some real-time relationship with what you're looking at. And so as an example for this, 
Imagine you're a general aviation pilot, you walk out to your Cessna aircraft, and you put on one of these displays, and you see a highway in the sky that represents your intended flight path, mm-hmm. or small icons representing the true position of other aircraft around you, or even semi-transparent columns that you see in a distance that go from maybe ground level up to 50,000 feet that represent restricted airspace. So this is augmented reality, or what in some implementations is referred to as mixed reality. What application is being used mostly in video gaming? Is it uh, virtual reality? It is the virtual reality at the present time. And uh, there are literally hundreds of companies around the world that are designing fully immersive, single-person and multi-person gaming applications where put on the head-mounted display, and the action is taking place all the way around you. you know, Shoot-em-up games all the way through, games of skill, driving simulators, and so on. And, but at the present time, most of this is taking place using the fully immersive virtual reality systems. There must be big money in this, Stephen, because Apple is jumping in against Microsoft and Google to be leaders in the, in the reality, the augmented reality especially. Are they going to make a lot of money doing this? They will. It's, but it needs to be understood that we're still in the crawling stage of these of the application of these technologies in these areas. Um, the displays need to become more refined and smaller in size. Um, the actual state of the art or the the best practices for designing these environments. Um, so that the perceptual effects are correct, you know, what is most engaging with the people and all that. Um, uh, all the game designers are currently, I don't want to say struggling with this, but they're trying to identify what exactly is it um, that you can draw people in time after right. time after time to come back to the games. If somebody is blind, will they ever get the technology where with electrodes hooked up to their brain they would virtually be able to see? That is the hope, and there's actually a lot of work being done in this area where there are implants that are put in, and depending upon what the visual condition is, but um, they're already to the point where they can allow somebody to perceive several individual points of light. This is as far as they've gotten so far, but it'll get I there. Would think a few decades down the line, they'll probably be able to... Um, go far beyond that. Now, is VR at a sophisticated point now where the person who's wearing the uh, headsets and the eyepieces could, let's say, carry on a discussion with a virtual reality image of a person, and that image would talk back to that person? Absolutely. Oh, my God. You know, smart agents, um, you, you know, the incorporation of AI into this, you know, for instance, there's uh, there's applications right now where you put on the head-mounted display, you're in this little cartoon world, and a little um, computer-generated puppy will run up to you, and you can start to play games with it. You know, <laughs> and pat it, it and pat and it, it and everything else. Ball and bring it back to you. <laughs> and now, will the images look like cartoons, or will they look lifelike? <clears throat> it, in part, depends upon how it's designed. Some people or some of the game designers want things to appear cartoonish. And then there are others that are trying to rapidly approach photorealism as quickly as they can. But the the challenge with this is that 
the more realistic you make the, the, the models that people are going to be moving around in, the more computationally intensive it is. And so as the computing power, graphics, horsepower, step-by-step increases, the, it clearly the, the visual fidelity and realism of these simulations will dramatically increase as well. well. We've got some graphics that Steve has sent us that are up at coasttocoastam.com, so if you get a moment, go up there and uh, take a look at this. Initially, when VR was started, Steve, and I remember this was years and years and years ago, it was primarily for gaming only, and then it intens- intensified, it's changed. How much is it being used now for military or defense applications? There's extensive use of it within the Defense Department and other um, organizations that uh, will support the warfighter. And we, if you'd like, we can get into some of these. Yeah, applications give us right some now. ideas, sure. So let me tell you about three of them All right. that um, are pretty intriguing. So most of the listeners are probably already familiar with helmet-mounted displays that are used by fighter jet and helicopter pilots where they see the normal cockpit avionics and weapons information that's visible on the inside of the visors or on special optical elements in front of their eyes. But the applications go much further. For instance, there's several branches of the armed services that are using a skydiving simulator known as Parasim. Now, in the system, the user puts on a harness and a head-mounted display, and you're winched into a rack. When the simulation begins, the user sees a high-quality, computer-generated version of what they would actually be seeing during a jump. Wow. They can control their, the virtual parachute they're using with toggles that they're holding in their hands. You can vary the weather conditions or the terrain models, as well as the type of canopy that you're jumping under. And since these are physics-based simulations... The quality of the visuals, the, the response of the canopy as you're pulling on the toggles this way and that way, it's very realistic. And these systems can be used for single users to refine particular skills, such as clearing a canopy malfunction, as well as groups of soldiers, all of whom can see each other in the same simulation who need to practice a Amazing. specific mission. That so, could even hold hands, like they were all jumping, right? Potentially. Yeah. Um, getting more down to earth, the second application is referred to as the Dismounted Soldier Training System. Now, this is used by the U.S. Army in multiple places around the world. And what it's designed to do is refine squad and team tactics in such activities as room clearing and building clearing operations. How do you move a nine-man rifle squad around different types of obstacles? And so on. And all of this can take place as opposed to taking up a big piece of a base where you're having everybody run around right. over multiple square miles, if you've got 1,600 feet of space and access to electricity, you can wire up nine individuals that are all in the same simulation. They each see each other in the same simulation, and they can move, maneuver through these different tasks, and then you can go back afterwards and analyze what they've done right, what they've done wrong. They may have done that when they got Osama bin Laden. They may have trained with something like that. There is a very good chance that uh, tools like this were used for that operation and a lot of other ones. Amazing. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.